Have you ever seen somebody's name and in your mind created an image of what that person must be like? I think it happens all the time on like dating apps and stuff like that. Like you see someone's picture and then you assume that they're like Superman or something like that and you show up and they're like, oh, you are not that at all. And my point is simply this, that our perceptions of people are powerful. That's why it's important that we think rightly about people. Uh, And this is especially true when it comes to God. When we say the word God, referring, of course, to the, the God of the Bible, a host of images will come to our minds. Each one of us has shaped an idea of what God is like. Uh, But the million-dollar question is this. Is your picture accurate? And so tonight we're going to look at the first couple lines of the creed, that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, which really lays the foundation of what we believe about God and in turn shapes how we relate to him. And so they give us two descriptors, and the first one is simply this, God is Father. Now there are several ways that that God describes himself in the Bible, but but one of the two that the writers of the creed felt the need to stress was that of Father. Now I don't know what type of image that word conjures up for you. Uh, Maybe you think of someone who is is, uh, short-tempered and angry. Um... Maybe you think of someone who is physically there but emotionally distant and detached. Or, 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 or maybe you don't have much of an image because dad wasn't really in the picture. Um, or maybe you have a great image. I, I, I don't know. But I do know that there's a lot of baggage that comes with this word father. A- and it can leave a, a bitter taste I- in our mouth whenever we refer to God as our father. And if you fall into that camp, can I encourage you not to shy away from seeing God as your father. Uh, don't, don't define what it means based on your experience with an earthly dad, but rather let scripture tell you what being a father means. Um, and, and there are several aspects of God as father that we could camp on, but I think the key idea behind this term is attentive proximity. Now, have you ever had a conversation with a parent who has a little child close by? That is a trick question you have not, because I guarantee you that they are not paying attention to what you're saying. Um, Just before we were coming, uh, Theo and Darcy May were playing on our neighbor's trampoline, and Emily was trying to have a conversation with our neighbor, but it wasn't really happening because she was too worried about watching Theo and Darcy May bounce around the trampoline and not, like, get a concussion or something like that. No matter what happens... Uh, when you're talking to this person, they are zeroed in on the needs of their children. Um, Should the child start to run off, they will chase the child and expect you to follow. Uh, Should the child start to cry, they will make a beeline for the child, and you better get out of the way, otherwise you're getting knocked over. Um, This is attentive proximity, and this is how, how God is in tune with us. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and King, we become members of God's family. We become his adopted children, which means that he he cares for you. Uh, Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6, 31 and 32, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, Well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
And, and like a little child can cry out, Dada, and her dad comes running, so we can cry, Abba, and God is right there. And so to confess and proclaim that God is our Father is to, cl- is to declare that he's close, that he's attentive, that he is concerned with what's going on. Which means that we should come to him with our problems, with our hurts, and with our anxieties because he cares for you. But there is another descriptor that the creed emphasizes, isn't there? He's not just God the Father, but God the Father Almighty. And this is basically saying that God is all-powerful, that he alone is, the supr- is supreme over all things. In other words, Greek mythology has it wrong. Uh, there isn't a pantheon of gods duking it out, trying to be top dogs, scrambling to hold on to what little power they have while scheming for more. None come close to him. And, and I think we, 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 we know this cognitively, but, but it doesn't really phase us. It really doesn't impact us. It, it's, it's kind of like seeing the, the dev- devastation of a tsunami on the news, right? It's, a, it's a, a terrible thing, and we know it's true, but it really doesn't hit home because it's so far away. It's not until we're in close proximity to it, we, we witness it firsthand, are we taken aback by it. Then it's real to us. And God's power is like that. The closer we get to it, the more overwhelmed by it we become. Isaiah chapter 6 tells us uh, about the the prophet Isaiah's experience with God's power. He has a a vision where he enters into the temple, uh, enters into the very presence of God, and he witnesses God in all his glory, all his power. There's a large group of angels singing his praises, and he's just overwhelmed by the magnitude of it all. And he declares in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, coming in contact with God's power does two things to us. When we observe it firsthand, we are amazed at God. We are blown away. But we are also filled with dread because we are sinful beings. And so God's power really causes us to reevaluate the way we live. Uh, But there is an interesting adage about power, isn't there? That that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, And in an era marked by scandals and abuses of power, it's easy to be suspicious of those who who claim power. Uh, And we can sometimes transfer that over to God. Uh, that, that, that God is a manipulative, power-hungry dictator who's up in heaven just pulling strings. But that saying is actually wrong. Um, do you know why power corrupts? It's because no one holds it absolutely. Which is why many mighty people have been corrupted by power, because they were not almighty, because they didn't have absolute power. Because God has absolute power, He isn't corrupted by trying to get more or by trying to keep it secure in himself. He doesn't need to manipulate and scheme to accomplish things or to try and acquire more power. He has it all already and can just bring about what he wants. And and, and that could be really bad for us, but but it's not. Uh, Did you know that the early church father's favorite illustration of, um, of of God's almighty power uh, was actually that of a mother with a newborn baby. I don't know if you've been around new babies, 
but uh, they are pretty helpless. They can do absolutely nothing, which means the mother has absolute power over the child. And yet what does the mother do with her almighty power? She cares for the child. She nurtures the child. And this is what God does for us. And so at this point, you should notice a little bit of tension here. We have God the Father, which, which in, invites us into relationship with him. But then we have God Almighty, who is all-powerful and holy, which, which really propels us away from him because of, his, because of our sin. Uh, and this tension actually plays out uh, in our lives as a spectrum for how we relate to God. Um, see, some people will really emphasize that God is their father, uh, and the, the, the closeness they feel to him. But, but in so doing, they will at times minimize sin and l- their lack of obedience. They kind of treat God like uh, an elderly person in a retirement home. Um, that, that, that God is just happy that you stopped by and you prayed for a minute. And he's certainly not going to say anything that might disrupt or alienate you. Others will gravitate to the other end of the spectrum. They'll see God a- as, as almighty, someone to be feared and appeased, and so, so they rigidly obey. And they, they, they try to keep him happy, and they appear to be these great Christ followers. But they're just living in fear and have no intimate relationship like a, a child is to have with their father. But what the creed is trying to tell us is that only when both of these are true in our lives, when he is both Father and Almighty, when we live in that tension, do we have an accurate picture of God? And, and this accurate picture actually plays out in the last line of the creed that we're, we're looking at tonight, that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God's almighty power on full display, right? He simply speaks and things happen. Uh, I, I kind of imagine creation playing out like the NBA slam dunk contest, like God's like, platypus. And there's like one group of angels over here just like jumping up and down, losing their mind. The other one's like, whoa. I I don't know. That might not be true. That's just how I see it. But, um, and so we see all of God's power on display. But then something very interesting happens in chapter two, right? God rolls up his proverbial sleeves. He takes dust and he forms man. He breathes his own life into him so that man becomes a living being. And then he provides for the man a, a place to live and flourish. See, in the creation account, we see both images of God being true. God is all-powerful and shapes the world. And we should be awed at his power and ashamed of our sin. And we also see God as Father, intimately involved, fashioning man together, providing for him and being in relationship with him. See, we have to somehow live in the tension of these two descriptors, that that God has to be both Father and Almighty. Otherwise, you have a a loving but inept God, or you have a tyrant waiting to flex his might on you. And the only way that you can live in the tension is to live in Jesus. See, in Jesus, we're able to enter into God's presence and not fear being destroyed because he has dealt with our sinfulness. Because of his sacrificial death on the cross, he, he bore our sins, and we, in turn, share in his sinlessness. And when we are in Jesus, we're members of God's family and able to call God our Father and rest in the assurance that he loves us, he cares for us, and accepts us. And that's why it's essential that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth.